This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge Publicity. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and I am so pleased that you are spending just a small part of your day with me and my guest, Rich Davis. He is the writer and creator of the underground horror sensation Cult of Dracula and Rise of Dracula from Source Point Press. His first comic, Cult of Dracula, has been optioned by Shore Pictures for film and television development. Woohoo! That's exciting yeah. stuff by Gully. Rich is a core cast member on the hit Netflix series Swap Shop, and he is currently in negotiations to return for a third season on that show. He has also founded, now listen to this, folks, this guy's been very busy. He also founded a performing arts theater. He's worked as a concert booker and a film producer. He has been a radio personality, an actor, and a screenwriter, and he even served as a campaign staffer for two presidential campaigns. And now he gets to tell scary stories for a living. Now, holy Toledo, Batman. <laughs> bam, pow. That's, since we're talking comics, I have those, you know, that visual of bam, pow in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like Batman. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, some people, uh, I think I've lived the ultimate ADHD uh, dream uh, during my life. I, I've, I've never been afraid to try different things. Um, and if I wanted to do something um, and I, you know, I decided that I wanted to do it, I go for it. And so, yeah, I've done a lot of things. I've worked in, uh, I've worked in newspapers, I've worked in radio, I've worked in television, presidential campaigns i owned a bar for a while I, now i own a comic book store and i write uh, i write comic books for a living so it's a in my my life has been many things but it has never been boring i was just gonna say you do not or have not had a dull life how does one get into comic book writing <laughs> that is, we only have like a half an hour here <laughs> um well okay so that that question is is complicated to answer but in this day and age with all of the technology and all of the um the crowdfunding um, platforms and things that we have you can get into comics by simply when you're finished listening to this amazing podcast just go over uh to uh, gofundme or kickstarter or art station or um deviant art and you can just put your stuff out there um, there's absolutely nothing in the world stopping anybody listening to this conversation uh from uh, from creating a comic book right now and now you could have always created it and then just put it in a little binder and stuff it on your your shelf for no one to ever see except for your closest friends and family but now you have the opportunity you can you can just create it and get it out there and thousands if not millions of people can immediately consume it um, so if you want to write comics right now, or if you want to draw comics right now, there's nothing stopping you except yourself. You know, and that's amazing. And you're, you know, you're right. And if I would have thought that question out a little bit more, because any, you know, anybody on the way the world is now, it's, it's all virtual and online. Mm -hmm. And there are teenagers making multi-millions of dollars with their YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. yep. you know, the possibilities are endless not only for comic book writing, but for anything, if you've got the drive and the persistence and the passion for it. And it certainly sounds like you do because you are like the underground horror sensation. So <laughs> underground, I want to touch on the word underground horror sensation. Yeah. 
Where does yeah. underground come from? What does that mean? Explain it to so me. That means, uh, that means that, um, well, the idea from it really stems from the, the idea of zines and things like that from the, from the 60s and 70s. You know, these underground newspapers, underground comic books being, uh, you know, basically just printed in people's garages or in small little offices and to be handed out. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's, that's become part of our, our zeitgeist, part of our, our culture, that idea. So, you know, really my story in creating uh, Cult of Dracula and now Rise of Dracula, it, it is a, it's an underground sensation because I started, I had, I had no publisher, I had no backing, I had no support, I had nothing. I hired, uh, I took my money and I hired an artist, I hired Henry Martinez, uh, people might recognize the name from Ghost Rider, uh, he worked for Marvel a lot in the 90s. Um, I hired him. I hired Ed Dukesher to do my letters. I hired Trevor Richardson to do my colors. And I created a comic book. And then I shopped it around to publishers because I knew I wanted to eventually get in. I wanted to do this for a career. I didn't want this to be a hobby. I wanted to, I wanted this to go through the publishing process. We, we ultimately did land with a very small publisher. Our Cult of Dracula was the first book they ever produced. Um, as a company called Second Sight Studios. Then from there, uh, we caught lightning in a bottle uh, and through a lot of hard work and perseverance um, and a lot of calling comic books, literally picking up the phone, calling every comic book shop we could find in the country, um, we sold so many copies of Cult of Dracula issue number one that the company couldn't afford to print Cult of Dracula issue number two. Um, now that sounds kind of counterintuitive. What happened is Second Sight, uh, they were a great company, but this was their first book. They did not have the infrastructure. They didn't have the distribution networks set up. They were no one on their in their right mind, including myself, was prepared for a an unknown comic by an unknown creator from an unknown company to sell 15,000 units right out the gate. That tiny little book there that no one ever knew a thing about outsold several Marvel and DC comics uh, the month that it launched. Uh, so Second Sight was uh, very supportive. They allowed me to uh, terminate my contract and shop the book around to other publishers. Ultimately, uh, we ended up at SourcePoint Press, which turned out to be the best decision that I ever could have made. SourcePoint's been incredible to work with. Everything they've ever promised me, they've provided it. They offer me continuing support um, and encouragement. Um, and now, you know, it's it's essentially as long as I want to keep writing, they're willing to keep publishing because I have the sales numbers to back it up. So Cult of Dracula, it, it got to where it is through the underground channels because it wasn't a big publisher saying, you know, with this huge marketing campaign saying, buy this book. It was me talking to people that own stores, talking to people in online forums, talking to podcasters like yourself podcasters have been such a huge support for me and they they dug the book and they kind of started to embrace it as their own and it kind of became this thing like well if you know about cult of dracula you're you're you're, you're in the club and you're you know you're, you're cool and if you don't know about it well <laughs> we just sit back and laugh at you and so and really that kind of community kind of coalesced around the book and you know all of a sudden i was surprised i set up a google alert thing to where anytime somebody posted about it i would get an email eventually i had to kind of just back that thing off because I mean, I was getting thousands of, of those little alerts every single day, but people really did it through an underground grassroots support. They embraced Cult of Dracula. They bought it. They, they evangelized it. And, you know, boom, now here we are. We're on, uh, you know, with Rise of Dracula, that'll be my, that's my 12th issue coming out. I've got six more in this saga coming out this year. 
in Reign of Dracula, and I've got some other things uh, in this related to this that we can't talk about right now because of NDAs. Um, and we've got a television program under development. So yeah, again, if you want to do this, folks, if I am any example of anything, if I can do this, you can do it. How awesome that it's also going to, you're going to, it's going to be a TV show as well. That is awesome. You're, you're just rocking, rocking it. Yeah. I, it. I don't know how long I get to keep doing this, but I'm going to enjoy every single second along the way. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, it, it, congratulations on all of it from the very beginning to today, because you've just been on, it seems like, you know, fast moving train and that's, it's just awesome. <laughs> and I love hearing stories like that, that it's just, you know, it's a success story, but I'm sure there were bumps in the road along the way. Oh, God, yes. yes. Frustrations and maybe fears of, you know, oh, should I really be doing this? Oh, should I be spending the money? But, you know, you persevered and you stuck with it. And obviously it's a passion of yours. I don't understand horror. Okay. Or the brains of people who write it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to understand <laughs> that. I can tell you with absolute certainty. <laughs> well, I know that that what resides in my head is pretty scary sometimes. <laughs> so, but I, I'm I'm curious and always fascinated by those who write horror, whether it's how what you do or um, you know, like Stephen King. He's a good example. Mm -hmm. That man is brilliant. He frightens me, but he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, his, you know, he's just a brilliant author. And I've, I've just never, I guess it because my brain doesn't go that way. My, my stories are much softer and magical, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so horror, like, you know, Cult of Dracula and Rise of Dracula. I mean, how do you come up with your storylines? Where, where do those stories come from? Primarily from my nightmares. Um, so I, uh, speaking of Stephen King, I, I was privileged when I was in college to attend a, a seminar, uh, where he, he gave a speech, um, and, you know, and talked. And, um, one of the things that I took, one of many things that I took away from that, um, Stephen King said that if you want to write horror effectively, write about the things that scare you and your personal fears will come across to your readership. And I never forgot that. Um, and so I am blessed, cursed, whatever you want to say, uh, with very vivid nightmares. Um, like I have waking dreams where I wake up and I'm still in the dream and I've pulled the dream into my world. Like there's seriously not a night that goes by that I don't wake up and see people walking around in my room. Um, that's how vivid my, my imagination and my dreams get. Um, I've, and I've just, it's kind of old hat to me. It's like, oh, hey, Charlie, you're back again. You know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It doesn't really scare me as much anymore. When I was a child, it terrified me. Um, and I think also what a lot of people may, uh, may not realize is I love to be scared. Therefore, I am one of the easiest people on the planet to scare because I go into it wanting that rush of adrenaline that fear gives me. I mean, even when I was a little kid, I, I vividly remember hiding. My parents had this big black leather couch in their living room, and I would hide behind it and peek around the corner watching Scooby-Doo, and it would scare the hell out of me. And I would beg my mom to let me keep watching, and she was so mad because she was just going to scare you. You're not going to sleep. But please, please, mom, I want to watch it. So I, I go into it wanting that fear. So taking those fears, those nightmares, and then drawing the inspiration from everything you see in the world, because you can, I mean, the world's a really scary place. Um, there's, there's enough to inspire a lot of nightmares out there, 
but then being able to um, see the see the world and to see just kind of the mundane things and put a horrific twist on them just by saying, hmm, what if, like you see a train going down the tracks, what if it jumped the tracks? What if, you know, what if, what if that guy over there just decides to walk in front of it? And then you start thinking, hmm, well, what would make him do that? Well, what if there's a demon on his left shoulder whispering in his ear, driving him mad? Or what if he's a serial killer and he just buried, you know, he just buried his whole family in his backyard and he can't take it anymore. So you, yeah, that's the way my brain works when I see things like that, you know? So yeah, it's walking around in the mind of a horror creator is not safe for everyone. But, uh, you know, and sometimes I'm like, Sometimes I, I think I want to go see my uh, see my therapist and say, what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> now, but, yeah, you, that's you mentioned several things while you're explaining that that I completely resonate with. First off, I think everyone has those thoughts in their heads. But they don't want to acknowledge them. They don't mm -hmm. want to welcome them and they don't want to really take a good hard look at them because I think they might frighten themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my thought on that because I, I yeah. everybody like you were talking about you know you see a train well what if it went off the tracks as soon as you went there I had a whole mental picture in my head of what could happen and and what might have happened right before to make it happen you know in my brain mm -hmm. that's going on and I'm sitting there listening to you going oh I can maybe write horror or something scary <laughs> <You know? laughs> all you to write horror all you have to do is face your fear exactly yes and I I completely believe that but then you also mentioned that you you have regular nightmares and they're very vivid. I too have regular nightmares that are very vivid. And I always tell people they're in full color. I can see, smell, hear, touch everything in my dreams. And there are times when I wake up and I still smell. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I'll still feel if there's like a wind or, or like a, a, a heat of something. Yep. And I'll be sitting on the side of my bed still feeling like the after effects of it but it's i feel it i'm not i'm not imagining it i feel right. it and you have um, that visceral reaction to it yes yes absolutely i've even had times where there was music playing in my dream and i woke up and i still heard the music in my room that's the creepiest i think <laughs> yes yeah you know, james james wan the director of the conjuring and, and those movies uh, i've had the opportunity to speak with him several times and he he's very well known for the sound in the sound quality in his films and the sound design and james says that he spends as much time editing the sound in his films as he does editing the visuals in the film because he said sound is often more terrifying than what, what you hear is more terrifying than what you see. Um, so yeah, certain sounds and music and things like that. Uh, yeah, that those are the scary parts when you wake up hearing things rather than seeing them. And you talk about that, you mentioned the sound, like the gentleman you just mentioned that he, he puts a lot of effort into the sound. Think of the movie Jaws. Mm -hmm. What's the very first thing when someone says the movie Jaws that you think of? You think of that music. <laughs> da -da, yep. da -da. No, nope. the first thing. So, you know, brilliant, brilliant minds that work there that come up with that stuff and that that you can, you know, at least for me. And I, I always thought, well, maybe that's why I'm an author, because I have everything is so vivid and my imagination mm -hmm. can really go crazy sometimes. And I I'm honestly a lot. I'll be like, oh, I've got to get that down or I hurry up and record it in my phone. I have so many files, unnamed files of stuff. That, oh gosh, me too. That one of these days I'm going to go back and say, 
Oh, Kim, you are absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to con I've had to remind myself and get into the habit of every time I write down, type down one of these ideas, remember to label the file, give it a yes. title so that I'll know what the hell was I thinking <laughs> when I was writing this because because I have to do that. I you know, now luckily we have we have uh, mobile devices that we can carry around with us that are just you know endless infinite um, notepads. And so every idea that pops into my head, I'm like, type it down really quick. And then it becomes this big mess of documents. And I sometimes look back and like, that sounds like a really cool idea, but what was it for? <laughs> you know, which book was I thinking about for this? Right. I have, I have notebooks. I, I love notebooks, like actual paper notebooks. And I'll go to the dollar store just to see if they have different color. Cause I like to color code stuff too, sure, sure. but I have notebooks everywhere everywhere in every room in my house in my purse in my car wherever and i will often you know write down my, but then i forget what notebook i wrote it in a few months <laughs> goes by you go pick up that notebook and i'm like wow what was i thinking when i wrote that yep <laughs> you know nope. where was i going with that <laughs> i think that's a, i think that's a um a problem that plagues all of us creatives we you know we have these ideas that we have to we just have to get them out of our heads but then we're sometimes we don't have the uh, the capacity to organizing and remember them. So we have to force ourselves to have that structure. It doesn't come natural. Like to an engineer, it probably, you know, everything just probably makes perfect sense. It's perfectly ordered, but it may not be as creative, whereas we're quite creative, but it's also chaos. It is. And I agree <laughs> completely. <laughs> now, I want to get back to your nightmares real quick. You said that you'd had them since you were a child, since you were younger. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there trauma in your past that brings those forth or the reason that you might have them? Oh, it's a cliffhanger, folks. You're going to have to tune in next Wednesday to hear the rest of Rich's story and also how he became a core cast member of the hit Netflix series, Swap Shop. Tune in next Wednesday, folks.